Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. I'm the Executive Director of BCLT and your host, Wayne Stacy. Today we have another discussion with Professor Stuart Brotman. Uh, if you recall, Professor Brotman is a professor of media management and law at the University of Tennessee and also a distinguished fellow at the Media Institute. Professor Brotman is pioneering a new model for addressing privacy issues and addressing the international uh, interaction between the, the privacy rules that are developing. So Stuart, we've, we've talked about the world gravitating toward an enforcement model for privacy um, that really is stick-based and away from an incentive model uh, that's carrot-based. And then we've talked about the issues that arise from multi-jurisdictional oversight of privacy here in the US. So kind of in light of what we've already discussed, what do you think is the single biggest unaddressed issue in digital privacy policy today? Wayne, thanks for inviting me to be here today. So I think the probably biggest unaddressed issue, but one that I guess you could characterize as the forest instead of the trees, is the notion of digital trust. Uh, ultimately, digital trust is the goal that I think digital privacy legislation or regulation is trying to achieve. But I think a lot of the discussion really focuses at the outset on what are the regulatory or legislative approaches as opposed to stepping back and looking at digital trust in a much more broad and holistic way. The other aspect that's interesting about digital trust is that it's actually measurable. So we have a number of surveys that are being conducted by highly respected organizations, which help us track, track perceptions of how consumers and users feel about the amount of trust they have for various uh, digital services. So for example, uh, Edelman, which is a worldwide public relations firm every year, they come out with a trust index and that shows how various institutions, including big tech, is perceived by the public. And then also the professional services firm KPMG has conducted a series of more focused data privacy surveys that focus on this area of digital trust. I think net-net, when you look at some of the surveys that are being done, you see that there is a large gap between the public in terms of their perception of what they trust and how they trust. And obviously on the other side, the commercial providers of digital services. So for example, in the KPMG survey of 2020, which was the latest one, uh, the majority of people in that survey distrusted commercial provision of collection, storage, and transmission of digital data. So, so we understand fundamentally there is a trust problem. And when we talk about digital privacy, that tends to be ways that we try to address the problem. But I think the underlying issue really hasn't been focused on in the way that it should be. Well, well Stuart, I want to take a step back because if you, you read the, the average newspaper, it seems that the term digital privacy and digital trust or the terms digital privacy and digital trust are, are used interchangeably. And I don't 
think that's necessarily the the correct way the industry is using those terms. So can you explain a little bit about the difference between digital trust and digital privacy? Well, I think digital trust, as I said, is really the, the broader term and digital privacy tends to be the terminology that's used in the policymaking world, whether it's regulatory or legislative. But I think when people think about digital privacy, they're really thinking about trust. Do they trust the providers of various digital services to protect their privacy? So I, I think that's one distinction between the two. I think the other is that trust or digital trust is really part of what I would call a trust ecosystem. So we have really three different concepts that are out there. We have privacy, we have surveillance, and we have cybersecurity. And when you put all of those in a basket, I think the common denominator there is digital trust. Do we trust commercial operators to essentially handle data, personal data uh, in a responsible manner? Do we trust the government as it collects data? And particularly we've talked about biometrics uh, and surveillance, collecting that information. So that's a government, tends to be a government function. And then cybersecurity, do we trust the digital networks that we're using to not be hacked or invaded in some way, which essentially could compromise uh, either a business enterprise or even a personal enterprise. So all of those th three things together, I think fall under the rubric of digital trust as opposed to digital privacy, which is really a subset, one of the elements of what makes up digital trust. So with that broad definition in mind, how can digital trust be supported in the public sector? Well, I think there are three players here, or at least three groups of players. So we have the, the public sector, obviously that's government, and to some extent the not-for-profit world. We have the private sector. Uh, and then the other area that's really not focused on are users, because in order to have a trust relationship, uh, it can't just be a one-way relationship between the provider without the user essentially taking some responsibility for enhancing the trust in that relationship. So let me give you just a quick data point here, a couple of data points. So in the KPMG uh, digital or data privacy surveys, so they found there are real gaps between what people say they would like in order to trust digital providers and what they actually do in practice. So we see here that the vast majority of people obviously want to have better privacy, better digital privacy. Yet when you look behind the curtain, you see that uh, only 31% of them install mobile security software. Uh, we see that three quarters of them uh, obviously want more protection in terms of passwords and public Wi-Fi and saving their credit card, yet only 40% of the people actually do anything about it. So I guess one quick message here is let's talk about specific players in this environment. And the first one that you mentioned uh, is the public sector. 
So I, I think the public sector has a really important role to play here and not just in terms of crafting legislation or regulation. California is a really good case in point. Uh, so in California, the Department of Motor Vehicles, for example, uh, collects enormous amounts of personal identifiable information. Obviously, that includes uh, birth dates, it includes height and weight, it includes pictures. And so you would assume that that information is solely used for the DMV's purposes, not so. So we, we know now that the California DMV has been selling that information to third parties, including credit bureaus, uh, including data providers like LexisNexis. So, so I think one area of digital trust where government can improve would be to impose upon itself restrictions on the data that is using internally and whether or not that's going to be available to third party, to third parties. Secondly, we have the whole world of government contracting, obviously government at the state, local and federal levels uh, is responsible for hundreds of billions of dollars of federal contracts. And yet many of the government contracts don't have any policies related to the collection, transfer and storage of personal identifiable information. And so again, government can play a real, uh, I guess, proactive role here in the government contracts area. Uh, a third area where I think government really needs to take a lead is in the area of social security numbers. So many people are not aware that we have a federal law that prevents the use of social security numbers for any purpose other than management of the social security system. And that law has been in place now for a couple of de decades. Yet I think all of us probably in the past few days have filled out a form online or sometimes even in person where you have to put in your social security number. That violates the law and yet we have absolutely no enforcement of that. And so we continue to have this culture where the social security number is used in a way that it shouldn't be used. And I think the government to some extent is part of the problem because obviously we have the law on the books. If we had more enforcement preventing not just the government but private organizations from using social security numbers, I think that would probably enhance a level of digital trust in the area. Uh, and, then, and then lastly, uh, the area of cybersecurity, because as I mentioned, that's part of this overall digital trust idea. But uh, the government really, and again, state, local, and federal, needs to set higher cybersecurity requirements in the government contracting space. And again, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. And so once the government mandates some of these requirements, it has an enormous effect on the way that cybersecurity will be rolled out. So Stuart, last time we talked about the, the issues arising from multi-jurisdictional oversight of privacy. In this particular interest, you know, particular uh, method here, it seems that all levels of government need to be thinking about their role in this, all the way from the, the city government through the federal government. Is that, a, I think is that a fair view? 
Oh, and, uh, absolutely. And I think uh, probably people who've been discussing digital privacy have tended to look at this as a federal and obviously in California and a few other states as a state issue. But we've also talked about areas like facial recognition where we have municipalities, we have cities like San Francisco and Oakland and Boston now involved in that area. So clearly this is a, an area that needs to be not only addressed but coordinated among federal, state, and local. And we already talked about the international level, but as I discussed in a previous uh, discussion, at the USMCA, which is the new version of NAFTA, the US is required to essentially discuss its views on areas like data transfer. And when the US discusses them, I think it should reflect not just a federal view, but obviously incorporate input from state and local governments. Well, Stuart, when we turn to the, the private sector, you know, we, we hear that people say they want privacy, they want cybersecurity, but they're not really willing to pay for it or do anything about it. So how do you get the private sector engaged in digital trust if their customers aren't that engaged? It's always a good question. And uh, we have something that is called the privacy paradox, this notion that people obviously are concerned about digital privacy, yet, of course, they want more and more digital services and give up more and more information to get them. So uh, there's an area of psychology called cognitive dissonance. And we see a lot of that in the privacy area where people are not acting in the way that they think or are expressing. So I, I think the privacy, the public sector, private sector can be doing uh, a number of things. Uh, one obviously is in the area of notices. And I think everyone complains about the boilerplate that pops up where you have to accept. And obviously virtually everyone just presses the accept button. And beneath that, are perhaps 40 or 50 pages of uh, notice of terms of service, which have been crafted obviously for legal purposes. So I, I think it would really be helpful if the private sector essentially on its own began to reimagine how it communicates terms of service to users, as opposed to just the one click. And then of course, beneath that, the 40 pages of legal boilerplate. So for example, uh, why not have notice of services available in formats other than text? You could have it in video format. You could have it in audio format. You certainly should have it in multilingual format. And there should be ways that you can synthesize it so that you have an executive summary type approach to these notices. And obviously, for legal purposes, you still are going to need those 40 or 50 pages, but it would be helpful just as we look at documents and see an executive summary, if companies at the outset of introducing the terms of service says, here are the four or five main points. You could probably put them on one page of a PowerPoint or put them into a 30 second video clip and I think that would be very helpful. I think people would then feel that they 
basic understanding, and that includes me, what is in the terms of service that you've just clicked on, uh, virtually no one has reviewed them and could tell you what was in them. So, you know, putting all that together, um, you know, it seems that the initiatives, at least for now, have all started at the, the federal or state or even the, the more local level. You know, what can we look at going forward in terms of privacy initiatives to support digital trust? Well, I'm reasonably encouraged that the private sector now is stepping up with some pretty innovative approaches. So very recently, uh, the Data and Trust Alliance was announced, and that includes companies like Amex, and Walmart, UPS, Johnson & Johnson, Starbucks, Nike, IBM, Pfizer, Meta, UPS, CVS, Deloitte, you could go on and on. But those companies have now formed a group which is not a think tank, and it's not a lobbying group, they are looking at algorithmic bias in artificial intelligence, and particularly in the HR environment where a lot of information being developed by artificial intelligence systems is essentially biased in producing information which may lead to uh, skewed results in hiring. So they are now and have adopted uh, a series of recommendations which are going to be implement, implemented by these companies. And as the leading companies in the country, if not the world, once they begin to address algorithmic bias at an operational level, I think that will have an enormous impact, particularly because artificial intelligence at its root depends on data being ingested in AI systems. And uh, information can only be as, or the system can only be as good as the information being ingested. And so if you have skewed data or data that has been collected in a way that violates the privacy of individuals, you probably won't have an effective AI outcome. So I think the Data and Trust Alliance is an organization that's going to be very interesting to watch and particularly because they have said, we are going to be implementing this in our company. So it's not just another white paper, not just another legislative proposal. It's actually something that will be put into their day-to-day -day operations. Well, uh, I, think, I, I think there's one other area that probably the private sector can and should step up a little more. Uh, and that's in the area uh, called the Ad Council. So the Advertising Council is a not-for-profit organization which has been doing public service ads for decades. Obviously, we know about forest fires and seatbelts and so many other areas because the Ad Council essentially produces these ads and are supported by major companies. Uh, what if we had a concerted Ad Council campaign dealing with digital trust, particularly in improving the digital hygiene of people so that people are more aware that they have some ability to protect their information. Again, the idea here is not necessarily to put the responsibility totally on the users, but at least to get them to understand that there are things they could be doing which could be very helpful.
Well, Stuart, I want to expand that question a little bit and then ask, how do you see you know, international developments in, in privacy uh, impacting digital trust here in the U.S.? Well, I think uh, obviously we've spoken about GDPR and, and China, of course, has a new digital privacy law, which is highly protective, but it then, of course, has enormous implications for surveillance because the Chinese government obviously retains virtual free reign to surveil any of its citizen to, citizens to collect that information. So I, I think what's happening at the international level actually supports what I've been discussing in terms of this trust ecosystem, because I think the more that we begin to focus on China, we will begin to see that, yes, we can essentially mandate much tighter privacy rules, but we also may need to address other aspects of the trust equation, particularly surveillance. And, and of course, universally, we have the whole area of cybersecurity, and we really have not had a lot of good progress in the area of any international conventions or treaties dealing with cybersecurity. Hopefully the USMCA between the United States, Mexico and Canada, because there are these data transfer provisions may yield some good ideas about cybersecurity. Well, Stuart, once again, uh, wonderful information and, a, and an innovative way to approach this topic. So thank you for sharing with us. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. And I look forward to talking with you again. Same here. You too.